Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for basis opinion. Today is August 18th, 2020. This is episode 304. My name is Scott Magnus. And this is Jake English. And on this week's show, we'll try to figure out if the starting pitching will ever start. And then we'll ask ourselves, are we all having fun? We'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you drinking this evening? Back to an old faithful Scott, I'm drinking a loose cannon, and it is delicious. Jake, on my side, I'm doing the grapefruit nectar from Roar Brewing Company. It's a good one. It's a good one. 7.4%, a little hazy. um, One that can certainly put Jake English uh, to sleep pretty quickly. That's all we ask. Folks, if you want to know what we're drinking on a weekly basis, check us out on Untapped. I'm at MEGN8606. I'm at JKE4025. And with that, let's go on through the medical bang. going on with the medical wing. Uh, a couple of things have happened of late, and we should probably talk about it. The first is that Jose Iglesias is officially on the 10-day injured list with that sore left quad. Apparently, the, the will he, won't he recover was just too much, and, uh, and they finally had to put him, put him out the pasture, at least for 10 days. It's a bummer because he was doing so well. Yeah, I mean... I, you could even hear Brandon Hyde talking about it, being like, yeah, we, we probably need to give him some time off, um, but he's hitting so well. Um, so I think there was a reluctance on the Orioles' part and Hyde's part to to lose that production in the lineup. But you could see him running up the first baseline and just just know that he needed you know a 10-day, 10-day IL um, to kind of get back to where he needed to be. And you know who's to say that that's going to you know, solve all the problems. This has been a predominant story throughout this short season um, with him having, you know, health issues. So we'll see if we, you know, actually see a, you know, resurgent Jose Iglesias once again. But by the looks of it, even being at 60 to 70% capacity um, has been good enough um, for him to be a productive member of the Orioles. So you're saying that when he runs up the first baseline, you're instantly reminded of JJ Harding? I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that you look at Jose Iglesias for, and he he's eerily similar to J.J. Hardy, in my opinion. So you can hear the knees screeching as he walk, as he runs? Uh, it's even worse than that. It's the, uh, we, we talked about this when J.J. Hardy was on the team, it's the, ha, he, ho, ha, he, ha. Like you're walking on coals. Um, <laughs> it, it's just painful to watch. What, what, what is the sound of one walking on coals? Ha. Nice. Thanks. Thanks for going back to that one. I appreciate it. No problem. Uh, also in the medical wing, we have Austin Hayes. He has been put, placed on the injured list with a non-displaced rib fracture. Uh, had some soreness. Turns out it was broken after all. He's expected to be out at least until the 25th. And, uh, you know, this will be interesting. I'm curious as to whether or not the rib injury can be, um, you know, part of the explanation for why Hayes is having such a slow start. I mean, you can't, can't say that your, uh, your core is not involved in playing baseball. Uh, if not, you know, I, I hope that he at least has the time to clear his head, rest up a little bit and get in the right brain space to come back and play. Cause boy, howdy, I would love to see Austin Hayes come back and be a real major league player. Yeah. I mean, it looks like he'll be back, you know, soon enough, as you mentioned, I think the bigger concern is, again, this is a historic um, you know, trend that we're starting to see with Austin Hayes kind of being injury prone throughout his entire career. Um, and when you look for that kind of center field dependability, 
Um, it's it's of concern. Now, I, I'm you know it's great that they've got Cedric Mullins out there, kind of filling in the gap. Um, but this is one of those you know a- aspects that we took for granted with Adam Jones in terms of that consistency every day, being able to go out there. Um, and we'll have to see if Austin Hayes can kind of shake this injury label um, that has you know been put onto him uh, through this early part of his career. All right. Uh, anything else going on in the uh, medical wing this week that we should be aware of? Don't think so. I think that's about it. Um, why don't we go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters? So, Jake, uh, my first tweet is, I'm, I'm asking you the question, why is this a thing? Uh, and this tweet comes from Joe Paparato, um, at Joe Papa. Uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame displays a game ball used in the Rangers' 30-3 bludgeoning of the Orioles in 2007. A memento from a game full of terror for Orioles fans is celebrated and forever documented for all to see. Nobody cared about unwritten rules then, so why do they matter now? First of all, I appreciate and respect Joe Paparato, but I do not think that this is an accurate tweet. Um, The reason I think that this is fake news is that I do not believe that any balls were left in the stadium to remain as mementos of a game full of terror for Orioles fans. Uh, they all went home with Rangers fans that night. All of the balls. All the balls. All of them. No, Jake, I mean, Jake is, didn't you actually go to this game? I was there. And you walked out of the stadium still an Orioles fan, and it, it, it emboldened you to say, you know what I should do? I should start an Orioles podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the thing was, though, is that for those of us that were there, I mean, there were cheers as those last couple home runs got hit. After a while, you just kind of got got kind of into it, right? Like, yeah, we're getting killed. I mean, we lost the last game, you know, eight seven or whatever that day because of the doubleheader. But like at that, at some point, like you just watch the spectacle, right? And so it is ridiculous to watch people get butt hurt over, um, you know, people playing baseball. Some folks have, have uh, posted, reposted, and retweeted uh, Buck Showalter's reaction to this, and I, I think he's spot on. Look, if it doesn't bother the players, if there doesn't seem to be a respect issue uh, amongst the people responsible for the, the playing the game, just let's just the rest just chill out. Yeah. Right? Let's just shut up and let them do the thing. And, and to be honest with you, if you're watching your team get creamed, switch it off and go do something else. Because there's an entire other fan base that is living in ecstasy. And you know what? Let them do it. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a long season. I, wait, scratch that. It's not a long season. <laughs> um, but you're it, right, it Jake. It feels like a long season when it's 30 to 3. If you don't want to continue to watch it, you know, just turn the game off um, as a fan. If you on the opposing team are upset that someone hit a home run off of you, it's like everyone else says, throw the ball better or pitch better. Um, you know, these unwritten rules of like, well, you're not really supposed to do that. Uh, I'm even thinking back to the, the David Ortiz, um, incident where he smashed the dugout phone where he's just like, well, you know, I, I'm going to throw a hissy fit here because, you know, the three O was close enough where it was called a strike. Like you just know that, like you just move on and be like, all right, you know, it probably wasn't a strike, but it was close enough that they're giving the guy the benefit of the doubt. But again, um, unwritten rules and, you know, temper tantrums. Um, I guess that's what baseball is all about. You know, again, I don't want to have to publicly disagree with you here, but after all, it was his effing bullpen phone. It, it was his effing bullpen phone. There's no question about it. All right. I want to draw your attention to another tweet, Scott. This is a tweet from the Baltimore Orioles. It says, we recognize the historical significance of the anniversary and the long struggle for voting rights and the struggle that continued for many years thereafter for women of color. Honor the legacy of those who came before us and voter up, register to vote, with a a link to orioles.com slash voter up. This is not the tweet that I want to draw your attention to, Scott. Um, Sometimes people respond in ways that are are so perfect, it brings a smile to your face. Um, And so uh, Phil Spain, who tweets at Phil and Espanol, responded to this tweet as follows. I'm sure the replies will be wholesome, which is, by the way, funny and perfect. But he did it so quickly that I think it has quelled all of the unwholesome replies that could have come. So, Phil, you made me laugh, 
and you kept the trolls at bay. This is a, a perfect tweet. Uh, next tweet comes from the great one, Scott Van Pelt, at not the fake SVP. And the tweet is as follows. Are the Orioles good? So, Jake, I guess we'll get into this later, but are the Orioles good? Scott, I'm going to go one step further and, and tease the, the segment as asking this question. Scott, does it matter Ooh. if the Orioles are good? I thought you were going to say, Scott, are the Orioles good? <laughs> I, I cannot cannot think of the Orioles and Scott Van Pelt without, uh, without that bit. That, that is all that lives in my brain. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we are getting ready for, for football season as well um, in, in Birdland, you know, getting ready for the Ravens to start up. And, you know, there are rumors that, again, Kiki Olanzo is going to uh, potentially be signing for the with the Ravens. So we'll just have to see what happens. Nice. Nice. All right. Let's go to a, uh, let's go to a tweet from John Heyman. Uh, he tweets out John Heyman. He says, the Orioles within the past couple of weeks renewed their interest in the Alcea Puig. But it's a mystery what's going on with him now. Scott, do you care? Are you interested? Is this a storyline that we're going to follow? Or did we, uh, did we lose interest back in the offseason? Um, I, 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 like I said, I, I don't really see why the Orioles would go and sign him at this point. I mean, and as a fan base, I don't understand why the fan base would be that excited about the two. I mean, it's just one more person to block Ryan Mountcastle's, you know, sudden resurgence that he comes up into Baltimore and has to play left field. So yeah, I, I don't get it, Jake. Um, I, I, I don't understand why the Orioles are still being linked to Yasiel Puig unless there is nobody else linked to him. Um, and you know, maybe Yasiel Puig's agent is trying to drum up someone to be interested in him. Sure. I mean, I have lived long enough as an Orioles fan being a pawn of, of, uh, agents to, to consider that prospect. But you know, Scotty, I don't want Yasiel Puig here. If it means fewer bats for Cedric Mullins, I don't want Yasiel Puig here. If it means fewer bats for Dwight Smith Jr., I don't want Yasiel Puig here. If it means fewer bats for DJ Stewart, remember this is a club, Scotty, that might be making the asterisk push late in the short season and we might need that fresh set of legs that fresh attitude that fresh bat off the bench well i mean if we need veteran leadership and i would think most of us would say that um yasiel puig is a veteran um (laughs) you know if we're looking to get rid of chris davis and we're looking to replace that veteran leadership in the clubhouse who better to go out and go get? <laughs> Fair enough. All right, what else we got here in the in the Twitter? Uh, last tweet comes from Locked On Orioles. You know, give them a follow on Locked On on Orioles. Great podcast you should be listening to. Tweet is as follows: Brian Holiday is on the mound. This is not a drill. Of course, this is in reference to Brian Holiday, a position player coming out to throw. In a 14-3 loss to the Nationals this past Friday. Um, yeah. Um, we didn't think we would see uh, position players uh, pitching with the new rule change. Uh, but it was interesting to hear some play-by-play of Jeff Arnold comparing Brian Holiday to Dr. Poo-Poo in terms of delivery and stuff on the mound. What I'll say is that Major League Baseball made it more difficult to bring in position players to only times where your team is really terrible and the Orioles were like, hold my beer, we got this. We can do this. Yeah. I I am on record for for enjoying the position player pitching. Um, so I'm just uh, I'm delighted that, that weird baseball and fun baseball is not dead. Yeah, and I mean, the reason we're starting to see position players come in and, and pitch is, you know, Ultimately, this comes back to one of the topics that we're about to talk is the starting pitching. And let's just say they haven't been getting deep in games, and it's been putting a taxing on the bullpen as of late. So I guess the question is, Jake, when will the starting pitching actually start? 
Jake, we queued this up in the last segment, but you know the starters simply have not been going deep into games. You know, you look at uh, the innings pitch for the starters to date. We're we're tied for 19th in all Major League Baseball. Uh, and again, if you look at innings pitch per game started, you know most of our starters are in that four and a third, four and two thirds. The only one that has had a, a modicum of success would be, you know, Alex Cobb. Um, but I would say that's it's not a great success. So, I, I mean, Jake, why is this the case? Why are our starters not going deep in the game? Do you think this is based off design or do you think this is just further you know, ramification of the lack of talent that it's present on the roster? So, Scott, I'm going to boldly state that I don't know. Okay. Um, that's why people turn into this podcast. That's why. That's why people are desperately looking for me to tell them that I don't know the answers. I, I am curious, though. Uh, it's not an excuse, right? There's no excuse for for poor for poor performance, um, and it doesn't. It, it, it it's not necessarily consistent with other clubs. But I wonder if there's something about starting pitching either at the league level or just the starting pitching and, and coaching that we have here in Baltimore that was ill-equipped to scale up and, and ramp back up uh, for a season in, in some camp, right? I wonder if there had not been a disruption to spring training and if the, the pitchers, you know, baseball players being creatures of habit, baseball players, you know, needing the, the time to, to get themselves, you know, ready for the season, if they would be more effective. Uh, in that scenario. Now, not everybody is having this problem, right? But as you mentioned, the Orioles, as far as innings pitched by their starters, are tied for 19th in the league. And they have the same number of, of innings pitched from their starters as the New York Yankees, right? So I can't tell. Is this a problem here? Is it specific to our talent or not? Is it a, is it a spe- problem specific to our um coaching and uh, training staff or not, or is it something that is part of a bigger picture for all of baseball? Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you look at, you know, innings pitched, we, we, we talked about this before in, in previous seasons and, you know, I think ultimately you'd love to see, you know, all your starters go at least six innings pitched, but in reality, they don't need to go that way. Um, you know, I think the more important matter outside of just innings pitched is, how many times can you get through the order before it causes there to be an issue? And I think the Orioles are playing very smart with that and saying, hey, we can probably only have you go, you know, at most two times through the order before we need to start bringing in a relief pitcher. So I, I think the Orioles are, are leveraging pretty heavily on this expanded roster of 28 players. Um, and I think they're doing the smart thing. Um, that being said, you know, I think it's also because, you know, coming into the season, we knew that there wasn't going to be a plethora of talent and it has only been compounded on the basis of John means being injured and not being able to, you know, get into games. Um, so I I think if we looked at saying if Asher Wojciechowski is going to be in your lineup or in your rotation, Tommy Malone, Wade LeBlanc, Tom Eshelman, I think you could say, yeah, we're not expecting much out of those guys. You were hoping Alex Cobb was going to have a bounce back. You were hoping that John Means continued his streak. Um, you know, it's tough to say with Means, but Cobb is kind of giving you what you were expecting him to give you. Yeah. Now, do you do you think that if John Means had come back this season and been the John Means that we remember remember from last year, that we would necessarily be looking at the the starting rotation as a problem? I mean, oh. if you were getting you know five plus or five one innings pitched from John Means, getting five-plus or five-one innings pitched from Alex Cobb, and then the other three guys were, you know, four-one, four-two. I wonder if that would feel a lot different. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I still come back to, I don't know if I would say the starting pitching is the problem right now. Um, you know, they're, they're certainly not great, but they're also certainly not terrible at the same point. Um you know, they're putting up a 5.09 ERA, which, again, on the surface looks terrible. Um, but, again, what were, what were we expecting with this talent? I mean, again, I, I'm, it's great to see Tommy Malone having some semblance of success. But 
it's not like we had, you know, top 30 starters here. Um, I, I don't know. Like I said, I think if we put it side by side, I'd rather be in the situation with the Orioles than, you know, watching the Red Sox starters right now at 7.19 ERA um, or, you know, the Tigers at 7.42. Um, I, I feel like the Orioles are, you know, in that bottom third percentile, just like we expected them to be. And it is who it is. I mean, this is the talent that is on the team. And, um, you know, we're just going to come to have to come to expect it. The other thing that's interesting, and I think you alluded to this with the, the expanded roster, Brandon Hyde doesn't have to ride these starters, right? Right. You know, the, the Orioles have a winning record right now, and they have it because they've won more games than they've lost, which means that more often than not, the starting pitchers haven't screwed up so badly that uh, Brandon Hyde uh, has had an impact whether or not they win or lose ball games. I feel like he's, it's not that he's not giving them a long leash. It's just that he's not, he doesn't have any reason to risk it. Yeah, I think that's the right way to think about it. I mean, if you look at, you know, the amount of, you know, innings that he has thrown at his bullpen, you know, the Orioles relievers are fifth right now in terms of Fangrass war. Um, and, and on a win probability standpoint, you know, the Orioles are 12th right now from a reliever standpoint as well. So I, I'd say that the Orioles are going very sabermetrically inclined, which is, hey, we know we don't have much talent um, in our starting pitching. So we're not going to push them too far into the game to expose them. Instead, we're going to bring in our relief pitchers and try to manage to get through the games by, you know, throwing out their four or five relief pitchers in order to manage the manage the whole situation. I think that's the smart way to go about doing it. It's not like you've got, you know, top pitchers um, like the Cubs do or the Dodgers or the Indians. You're going to have to continue to shake things up in terms of, you know, approaching it with different arms, going from a lefty to a righty, going from sidearm, you know, going to someone that's throwing more breaking balls versus fastballs. You're going to have to be creative in terms of pitch mix um, in order to be successful and continue to be successful in this short season. Yeah, and I think the short season is the interesting component because you look at what's going on right now. It's not sustainable for 162 games, but it doesn't need to be, right? The the Orioles are conducting themselves in a fashion that meets the circumstances. And again, it's not like they're you know going gangbusters, but so far it's working well enough for them. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think we have to be careful um, because, you know, we talked about last week in terms of like Miguel Castro, who was absolutely dominant. And then as soon as we talked about him on the podcast, he decided to blow up. Um, Travis Lackins is another individual who was doing really well at the beginning of the season and now has blown up tonight. Uh, I believe giving up, I think it was four, four or five runs in one inning. Um, I think ultimately, um, you know, the relief pitchers have done a great job to start the season. I just don't think, again, the talent level is there for sustained, sustained, sustained success, um, even over a 60-game you know season. Um, I think the next shooter drop maybe is Tanner Scott, um, who, again, has been absolutely filthy. Um, but there's a lot of peripheral numbers that you look at and say, how much longer can he continue that trend? Sure. So what what... Is um, what help is on the horizon? Um, I, I think you know the, the three avenues uh, that, that I think make the most sense is one improvement, right? So maybe we get more of John Means, or or maybe you know some of the other guys step forward. The second being what we have in the minor league system, and the third being what we can get off the scrap heap, right? And we and we're doing a little bit of, of both of those approaches. Yeah, I mean, we we kept talking about it all last week, and people were wondering when was Keegan Atkin going to get into a game, and he finally got in um, and proceeded to be pretty meh, all things considering. Dylan Tate now is back with the club. Again, I don't think there's too much interesting there. Um, Cody Carroll was brought up. Again, not very good as well. So the Orioles have to try to find um, something out of their minor league organization in order to kind of supplement and or assist out the bullpen um it just doesn't look like they've been very successful yet um yeah you know we're waiting for we're waiting for the the promotion of ryan mountcastle to pitch in a blowout and maybe that's the case and you know i still think it comes 
back to you know the the rotate the the bullpen has been doing a really nice job, and they've been doing it absent of Hunter Harvey. And again, we we don't think I don't think that Hunter Harvey's going to be back this season. I think he's done for the season. Um, but that was a a major piece coming into the season that you thought, well, at least Harvey will be at the back end of that rotation or back end of that bullpen and be able to dominate. And if he's not going to be there uh, for the rest of the season, um, it's it's going to get dicey. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree. And, you know, they, they just added some pitching depth uh, with Jorge Lopez, and it wouldn't surprise me to see them swap out some long men uh, to, to supplement the roster when things get fit. Absolutely. Um, I think we'll, we'll see that oftentimes, especially with the starters not going deep, that you're going to have to have at least one or two long men in there that can go three or four innings in order to kind of supplement out um, the starters that may only go two or three innings in, in some instances against some really good teams. All right. So you kind of alluded to the question before. Um, so let me ask you, is starting pitching the Orioles biggest problem this season? I, I think it is. Um, but I think it was, we knew this coming into the season that it was going to be the biggest issue. Um, I mean, we talked about it through all spring training, which was all the way back in March, um, you know, back in the good old days. Um, it's not still March. No, it's it's not still March. Um, we knew coming in, there's like, who is going to be part of the starting rotation? Like, who's going to be the fourth starter? And who's going to be the fifth starter? Um, the fact that the Orioles haven't been absolutely gosh awful and been at the very bottom of the league um, has been pretty impressive to me. Um, so I, I take it as, yes, it's probably the weakest portion of the team to date that we have seen, but it's not surprising. Yeah, the other thing that I'll say is that the failures of the starting rotation are not at this point failures for the future, right? Wade LeBlanc and his Excuse struggles. Are, I'm sorry, Wade LeBlanc. Thank you. And his struggles are not an indictment on the organization's plan or the organization's future ability to contend, right? Tommy Malone and his beautiful daughters have nothing to do with the next or, uh, era of Orioles winning, right? So if those guys come in and they're they're just not doing well, that is not uh, damning in the way that it might be if an Aiken were uh, just flat, right? Um, you know, at some point when Dale Hall comes up, you know. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, guys, yep. Yes, Grayson Rodriguez. When those guys are here, if they are sputtering, that's going to be hard to live with. But these guys, I mean, that's kind of what you expect, right? I mean, we we know who Tom Eshelman is, so we should be okay with that. And, you know, even Alex Cobb is on his way out the door. Again, this isn't damaging for the future. So, you know, let's see how many games we can steal and, you know, see where the chips land. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a, a great point of, like, there, there isn't anybody in the starting pitching rotation right now that is going to need to be there in – 2023 or 2024 when you know hopefully Orioles are potentially going for one of those wild card spots um you know the the best one would probably be John Means and again I still think that's questionable but I, I still think that John Means has a role I think he's just had a rough you know short season um sure. but you know ultimately I'm not going to judge John Means on a shortened season such as this I'm gonna you know let him get everything back together and hopefully see one or two starts Again, it's such a small sample size. I mean, everyone has been losing their mind over Dylan Bundy um, in, in terms of their performances. And, and you look at what he did, which was he just went to his slider as opposed to relying on his fastball. And we talked about this for years in terms of like he no longer could be a fastball pitcher um, like he was in the past. And that he was going to have to go to an off-speed uh, kind of pitcher and be more finesse. And I, I think that can take you um, so far until the book kind of gets out and the video gets out. And then the video got out recently, and now he's getting demolished because people are waiting and kind of holding off on you know hitting some of those pitches. You know, do I think Dylan Bundy is going to be as good as he has been so far this season? No, I don't. Do I think he's going to be as bad as he he was also with the Orioles? No, I don't. I think that ultimately he is going to um, continue to be a major league pitcher for for several years to come, just like Kevin Gossman. But ultimately, it comes back down to, 
that's not an individual looking back at it saying that was a person that was going to take us to the playoffs and be that number one or number two. He was a number three or number four very quickly after looking at his stuff, especially after the velocity reduction um, coming off of Tommy John surgery. So there's nothing from a future standpoint that says this person can't rebound. Um, John Means can still rebound. And again, D.L. Hall and Grayson Regis are, are waiting in the wings for that time when the Orioles call on them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing that I'm surprised that we haven't seen is, you know, the creative rotation, the openers, um, you know, the the, uh, the bullpen games, the, the six-man rotation. You know, there isn't any of that that's been done so far as, as a way to ease the pressure on the rotation or simply get more out of, you know, less. I'm curious to see if we'll see that as the season stretches on uh, to try to preserve the bullpen. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thought. I mean, a part of me wonders if we would have seen it um, outside of like some weird aspects in terms of games being delayed um, due to COVID, um, seven inning double headers. Um, if we were in a more normalized schedule or you're playing, you know, six games back to back to back, and if we were only at 25 to 26 men rosters um, as opposed to the current 28, I'm wondering if the Orioles would have been a little bit more creative, um, maybe going to an opener routine. But for right now, I, I just don't know if it's necessary. Like, I thought it was going to be necessary, but with that expanded roster, it seems like a lot of teams are really not using the opener. They're really just, again, relying on their bullpen when they need it um, and just going to it. And when they don't need, you know, someone good, they're just going to scrap arms and our position players and saying, just just get us through the game. <laughs> Imagine this, Scott. Every fifth day, 4.1 innings from Tom Eshelman followed by 4.1 innings from Wilhelm. And then, you know, uh, a single out from anybody in the bullpen. I'm just it's glad, like an off day. I'm just glad that Ben McDonald is calling Wade LeBlanc with that Cajun accent in the correct fashion. Absolutely. All right, is there anything else I need to say about starting pitching that hasn't already been said, sneered, or thought about? The only thing I would say, too, is, you know, looking at Alex Cobb and, you know, the starts that he's put out there, you know, I think he's certainly been one of the better starters that the Orioles have put out there. You know, right there was surprise candidate Tommy Malone, who, again, you were really high on. I still don't quite understand how Tommy Malone is doing so well as he is. Um, but what I would say about Alex Cobb is, I, I think, unfortunately, um, Alex Cobb has put himself in a position where he is not going to be tradable. Um, I don't think a team is going to say, wow, look what Alex Cobb is doing out there. Um, I think we're probably saddled with Alex Cobb for the rest of this contract for this year. Sure. I mean, at this point, I'm just rooting for him to have good games. Yeah, right? absolutely. He seems like a nice enough dude. I'd just like to see him, you know, be able to enjoy some success. No, I, I completely agree with you. I, again, it's just one of those stories that we've been watching the entire season. And I, I think, you know, after some of the more recent starts that I've seen, I think we can, in essence, file that away and just be like, it, it's not going to happen. Um, the Orioles are going to use Alex Cobb through the rest of the season um, and he offers value by, you know, maybe just giving innings at this point. Um, and, and like you said, <laughs> eating up five innings. <laughs> we, we we need someone to go out there and you know throw five innings, and that might be good enough for the Orioles at this point. All right. Well, the, the starting rotation has been, uh, I would say, a little disappointing. Uh, but let's let's not be all doom and gloom. I would argue that the Orioles may have had some fun games to watch in the recent past. Let's take a quick break and come back and talk about what's fun. Scotty, don't look now, but the Baltimore Orioles are sometimes an entertaining club to watch. And, you know, a lot of people have been reaching out to me on social media or, or text or email saying, hey, how about, how about them O's? Yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're not paying attention, some of these games are, are pretty fun. And so I thought maybe we could just talk about, you know, what, what's going right? What are the things that are entertaining? And I'm going to start one off, Scotty, and say, I'm not sure if it's my imagination. I'm not sure if it's 
you know, some of the games recently, you know, a recency bias. But I feel like there have been few games this season, or fewer games this season, that feel like they're over, right? Um, obviously, you know, we had a laugh in which a catcher pitched. Um, but I'm not having the experience this year where they give up two runs in the first inning or they give up, you know, four runs by the third inning, and I'm like, oh, God, that's an insurmountable lead. They'll never come back from that. Uh, this is a team that, that is not down and out. Yeah, I think, you know, coming back to that point, you know, it's 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 not just in that manner in terms of being down and out. You know, I think one of the gripes we had even during the Showalter era um, was the predictability sometimes of the game in terms of, um, you know, the pitcher would go out there for the Orioles, they would give up, you know, a few runs, and then you'd say, man, that was like a 30-pitch inning. The Orioles really need to not just go up there and get, you know, out of this inning in seven pitches, and then sure enough, they go out there and, you know, probably get retired in seven pitches. And you're just like, what are you doing? Um, I'd say that, you know, a great example would be, you know, the game on Sunday against Max Scherzer, where the Orioles kind of fought back into it. You know, they ended up losing that game, unfortunately, on a real ease, um, you know, error. But I think we continue to kind of see these, this, this fighting spirit, um, this ability to kind of, stay close you know even when you're out by five runs you know hit a three-run homer now you're only two runs down and you know just right at the point where you're just like i'm gonna turn the game off they do something that's interesting where you're just like maybe i'll leave it on for one more inning and just to see what happens and you know a lot of times they don't win those games um but it's that kind of like huh like i wonder if something could magical happen tonight and i think that's what's been so fun um, so far about this season is um, just how much they've kind of fought tooth and nail uh, in certain games to get back into it and or, you know, just dominate the other team. Yeah, the other thing I'll say is that we just talked about the underwhelming starting pitching, uh, but at times the bullpen has been rock solid. And I am pleasantly surprised with what we're getting out of what I expected to be a rather pedestrian offense, right? Um and, and so let, let's just look through some of the things that are have been fun there. We've got Rio Ruiz playing out of his mind this season. Yeah, I mean, he is absolutely uh, playing on fire right now, um, both defensively. And I, again, I'll come back to, you know, that error that he had on Sunday's game, you know, did cost the Orioles the game. But mm-hmm. overall, you know, I've been really impressed with him defensively and just from a power standpoint, too. I mean, I called it last week. I called him the next Jonathan Scope. Uh, I, I hold to that notion. I think Rio Wies is going to be, um, you know, a, a big thing um, going forward through this rebuild. Um, and I think, you know, we've been looking for infielders that could shepherd us into this next generation. Uh, I think he could be it. I think he could be a, a really good uh, position player. I'm not saying superstar, but I'm saying that's a really good piece. I think that we have there. Um, that we could continue to build on it too as well. Here, here's the other thing. You know, we always laugh about the Duquette uh, regime being able to find people to be useful for a limited period of time, you know, going out and getting Chaz Rowe and having him have an unhittable slider for two weeks. If Rio Ruiz is just fun to watch for a little while, that's probably okay, right? Because what I thought we were getting in Rio Ruiz was just a, a seat moment, right? A placeholder. Somebody who had to fill the spot on the on the roster. And so if we're gonna get somebody who at times will be the hottest hitter, you know, in baseball for a short period of time, but also just continue to exceed expectations until somebody comes up from the minors to replace him, or until, you know, they, they go out and get a complimentary piece, even if he's not the next Jonathan Scope and and you know he's he's um, eroding my doubts about him but even if he's not that good he's still fun to watch and that's still okay and he's got gray hair great hair i i don't know i mean look you're talking to a guy who's a big fan of paul mccartney who had a mullet for like 30 years um all the greatness inside of you cannot overcome terrible hair and listen if you look deep enough into that whole hair, you can see your own reflection. So uh, it, it's 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 some good hair, but yeah, real ways. I Do you think, think it's it, like a Samson Delilah situation. Going on? I think so. 
Uh, but yeah, Rio Ruiz has been really impressive to me. And I'm, I'm going to continue to look forward to, you know, seeing, seeing him play. We've, we've got to talk about uh, Mr. Tony. Uh, we've got to talk about Anthony Santander. Um, and uh, yeah, he's been absolutely destroying the ball. Um, second right now in the major leagues uh, in terms of RBIs. I think he's got like a 700 slugging percentage right behind Fernando Tatis Jr., who is absolutely like a god right now in terms of baseball. Um, Anthony Santander has been really impressive. And again, we've talked about this for quite a while. You know, I chalked it up, you know, many moons ago in terms of saying, I don't understand why he's still in the club. Uh, he's at best a fourth outfielder. You know, he's not going to make it. Probably not even a major league baseball player. Dude is hitting bombs right now into Utah Street that uh, we have not seen in quite a while. Um, Jake, what do, you, what do you make of the whole situation? Do you think this is kind of a a Mark Reynolds blip, or do you think this is this is for real and that we're going to continue to see this kind of production and power from him going forward? It, it's interesting that you compare him to Mark Reynolds because what I think about Anthony Santander is that he, my expectation is that his ceiling can be pretty good with tears of just being unstoppable, right? Um, you, you talk about it. He's hit eight home runs in this short season, and, he, and he's doing so well with consistent at-bats, right? He's got 94 plate appearances over the 22 games. He's, he's got a weighted runs created plus of 146, right? And yes, he's hitting the home runs, but he's doing it all right now. You know, he's, he's only striking out 12, uh, 13% of the time. I, I think that Anthony Santander can be otherworldly for short periods of time. And when he's not, he's not too bad a drag, right? He's not providing negative value when he's not out of this world. That, I think, is the thing that I'm finding so exciting about Anthony Santander this season, is that it's the highest of the highs without the lowest of the lows. And if he can continue to do that, I, I think the, the sky is the limit for this guy, at least for my expectations of him. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think we're going to continue to see this current offensive production uh, throughout an mm-hmm. entire season. But we, we talked about it before. You know, even the defensive plays that he's making out there are such so greatly improved. Um, so again, I, I kind of actually lump him in a similar category to Rio Ruiz. Um, I, I don't think you know Anthony Santander is you know a superstar, but I've changed my mind of saying this is a guy that could be a really good. Um, player that again could be a, a potentially a two to three board player, um, and you know is not a superstar, but potentially in a really good season could be an all star. Like right now, he's an all star. Um, and, and like I said, I don't think that's on a, on a long term basis. Um, but I think you know, you know, given a season, you know, that he gets hot in, um, he could do some damage really quickly. So. I, again, we're, we we came into the season saying who is going to form up that nucleus, that foundation of the team in terms of being part of this, you know, rebuild in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four. I think we found two of those players this year um, to kind of pair with the Trey Mancini's, um, the Adley Rutschmans, the DL Halls, the Grayson Rodriguez going forward in the next few years. You want to hear something crazy? Sure. Uh, league average Babbitt is probably what. 290, like just, just under 300. Yeah, that's about right. Anthony Santander's Babbitt for this season is 257. That's because he keeps hitting home runs, and Babbitt doesn't count for her for home runs. Yeah, yeah. All right, what else What else do we have going on that's fun this season? Let me ask you this. Has, has Chance Sisko and his offensive production been fun? So uh, I think Personally, yes. Um, you know, I look at his on-base percentage, which is unbelievable, uh, and I look at his plate discipline, and I'm like, yeah, there's something there with Chancisco. I don't think he's a catcher. Um, let, let's let's put that straight out there. Like, I don't think he's a catcher. Um, but I feel like there's got to be something you can use Chancisco for, um, whether it's a DH or something like that. Chancisco has a role somewhere here. I just don't know what it is. Yeah, I, uh, you know, you talk about his plate discipline. I, I, I know that he's still striking out, but he's also walking at a ridiculous rate right, right now. Um, and yeah, the, the on-base percentage 
is is up there and he's forcing when he's not taking the walks the opportunities to, to hit and uh, yeah I, I hope that continues I will say his bat is is off the charts and I mean Scott educating here but does the high walk rate impact the bat? Um, I don't think so. Cause I mean, it, we're talking about balls and play. It's just right? balls so and plays. It, it shouldn't. Yeah, it shouldn't affect so it whatsoever. His his bat is sky high, over six hundred. Yeah. So it it could just be you know a hot start. I mean, you know, he gets part part time uh, play as a as a catcher. But if he can keep this up and he can turn himself into a productive part time player. Yeah, that that I think will speed his transition to not catching. Yeah, there's just so much weirdness with Chancisco right now. I mean, looking at his numbers for the entire season, 21% walk rate, 42% K rate, 636 BABIP. It's almost like he either strikes out or walks, and then if he does put the ball into play, it's always a hit. Um, so it's like the three true outcomes of like, I'm either going to walk, I'm going to put the ball into play and get a hit, or I'm going to strike out. Um, and again, I feel like that has to do with play discipline almost, and even maybe his swing stance of like, I'm not going to go and try to hit the ball for power, even though he hit a home run tonight. Um, but I feel like he's doing something interestingly weird and I kind of want to see it over a longer sample size than just the 38 plate appearances that we've seen so far. Like I said, I I look at someone like Chancisco and I look at someone like Chris Davis and I'm like, I'd rather see more Chancisco than Chris Davis. And if that requires Chancisco to figure out how to learn how to play first base, uh, I'm okay with that. Like, just throw him out there and just, we'll see what happens. All right. All right. This, I promise this is not mean-spirited, but you brought it up. And so let me ask you this question. Scott, has it been fun to see less Chris Davis this season? Um, I think, I'm not sure if it's been fun but it's been reaffirming to know that um, Hyde obviously has come out with many a comments, even one, t- I think, from yesterday, in getting like, I like talking to Chris, but we've got other players that we need to play instead of Chris at this given time. And it's just like, yes, this is exactly right. Like, Chris Davis, even in a shortened season this year, has a negative 0.6 war. Chris Davis should not be playing anymore. He sh- he's done. So, I mean, it gets to the point of, like, what are we doing here? Like, why is Chris Davis still on the roster? Yeah, he's a nice guy. Um, you know, he's, you know, got a clubhouse presence. Past that, though, like, it's hard to overlook, like, Chris Davis taking up a roster spot for anybody else, like a Ryan Mountcastle or anything like that. Like, at what point do you just, you know, like we've said, you know, for over two years now, when are you going to call it? Like, it's obvious at this point. You just have to call it. Um, you know, Brandon Hyde wants to call it. I'm sure Elias wants to call it. Um, I think we know why they're not calling it, but it's really frustrating because it's like, what are we supposed to do with this? Yeah, but the thing is, is that though he is taking up a roster spot, he's not eating up playing time the way he used to. Sure. I mean... But again, even if we look at like someone like Andrew Velasquez, for example, um, you know, taking up a roster spot, um, you know, having the ability to have somebody on there with speed uh, in certain games, I think, is equally important. Or be, be able to make a take a get a stolen base. I, Chris, what does Chris Davis offer right now? Like the potential ability to kind of scoop the ball. I, I mean, I don't even think that he's even that good at that anymore. You know, some of the defensive ranges that we've seen from some of the other folks that have been playing first base. I feel have been better than Chris Davis out there. So I don't know, Jake. I, I, I don't I, I want to come up with one good reason why Chris Davis should be on this roster. And I just don't see it um whatsoever. Um and like I said, I feel like there's gotta be a better solution and a better use of that roster spot, even with an expanded roster at this given time. All right. All right. So Scotty, I, I feel like I'm hogging up the air. I apologize. what else has been fun in 2020? Um, I think just overall, like we talked about before, there's been a lot of weird moments, like Pat Valakia um, and Severino hitting back-to-back home runs, um, weird walk-offs, stuff like that. You know, coming back in games with, you know, Scherzer and just some absolute bomb home runs. I mean, we were, we were looking at the ones by Santander, and there's been absolutely some moonshots. I think it'll be interesting to come back at the end of the season 
and specifically look at certain players. Again, we're starting to get into, you know, the Elias Medell regime at this point. And I'm wondering if we're starting to see some of the, you know, benefits that we saw last year with the minor league organization with the K rates skyrocketing for certain minor league players. I wonder if we're going to see over a large enough sample size, certain players exit velocity, launch angle, um, certain, you know, aspects that relate to their hitting approach, um, become improved, um, through the, you know, the measure of saber, saber metrics. Um, I'm wondering just, you know, the given data that is being presented to batters has improved, um, since, you know, the Elias Medell organization has started. I, I think that that's intriguing to me going forward, um, in the shortened season to see what are, you know, small sample sizes and what are actual developmental occurrences that are occurring, um, both from this off season prior and then I'll going into the season as well with certain, you know, select players. Sure. Here's something I've, I've enjoyed. Um, it seems to me like every time I hear Brian Holiday's name, he's doing something fun, right? He came into that game early this season, uh, pressed in the service at first base, came in immediately and made a game-saving play, you know, diving out to, to, to haul in the ball. You know, he's, he's hit in the clutch. He's pitched. Uh, he, he represents for me one of those fun extra piece guys that you know just happens to to have a, a few good moments and it's one of those stories that is just fun to get by yeah no i completely agree i mean we knew coming into the season it was he was gonna be a fun a fun character um i think he's lived up to that um and you know a lot of folks are giving everyone kind of grief for you know the orioles having three catchers but i actually think it makes a lot of sense with the whole you know severino Cisco and, and holiday. Uh, I, I'm okay with the way the roster is currently constructed with three catchers. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I mean, it's not a character for us because, you know, we're, we're not being negative. We're not piling on. We're not being snarky, but gosh, darn it. Orioles, this is what you've done to me. You've made me enjoy baseball in a time when the world is falling apart. I, I've got to say for the time being, that's uh, fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people, uh, we said this last week, and, and you kind of raised your eyebrow at me, even though we were doing this virtually. I was like, it, it kind of reminds me of the 2012 Orioles. And I, I still feel that way of like, you've got a lot of miscast players on here, none particularly very good from a talent standpoint. They probably shouldn't be winning as many games as they are. Um, and, and yet they're still remaining competitive out there. You know, whatever happens with the remainder of the season, um, you know, I think they're going to be very close to 500. Um, I think they're going to be a little bit below 500 at this point. I think they're going to be in that, you know, 450 ish standpoint, um, which is a great improvement over the 14 games that I originally predicted them to win. <laughs> um, but again, there's going to be a lot of fun baseball going on. And my gosh, you know, if they go on one of those streaks like they did earlier, um, this season where they had six games they won in a row. You get another one of those six-game winning streaks like that, you pretty much can guarantee that you're going to get a playoff spot. So, you know, I would say that the Orioles have done the first thing necessary through a third of the season um, in order to put them into a position for a playoff spot. They, in essence, need to have another, you know, third of the season like that. And then I think we can, in essence, be saying, hey, um, we may be looking at October baseball as weird and wacky as that sounds. So I guess the, the big question then becomes, should the Orioles uh, raise a banner for 2020? Are we running out of room over the men's room on Utah Street? And where else would the banners go? Uh, so, I mean, I, I do. We are out of room uh, above the men's bathroom in right field, um, right behind the foul pole. Um, that's a good question in terms of where they should go. Um, I don't know. Um, that's a great question. Um, one, one idea would be, um, you know, obviously on center field, the Ivy is no longer there. Um, is it an option where we could put banners out there going forward? Um, I don't know. Like I said, I, I'd be interested to hear people's perspective of, I think it's important to recognize pennants. I think it's a really big deal of like, we recognize the world series, um, on the scoreboard and stuff like that. But I think pennants are an equally important aspect. Even getting to the wild card is an important aspect. 
um, in, in terms of this team in something to be proud of. Um, I think putting it out there where it's a visual cue for everybody to see in the stadium is a really important kind of milestone. Um, and I think it's also important not just to think about the more recent aspect, just to kind of be cognizant of how good the Orioles were in the 60s and 70s. Um, and again, I don't know how the Orioles can do it um, in terms of the visual cues that are present. But man, I would definitely be hanging a banner, even if you got a wild card spot and you were the number eighth team to get into the 2020 playoffs. Um, it would blow people's minds if we would have said, um, you know, coming into the season, even the shortened season, yes, the Orioles are going to get into the playoffs this year. There is no chance in heck I would have said that would have been the case. So this would probably be a bigger success um, and a mind blow um, this season compared to even 2012. Well, Scott, I can tell you after 11 years of Catholic school, I agree with you on the importance of penance. Um, last unrelated question. Sorry, I'm breaking the rules. Uh, this is not a fun question. But I do have this question for you. There are no fans in the stands. And yet, the Orioles and every other club that I've seen still have the screens up. Why? Why? Uh, clearly, it's to protect the players from pulling a jeter and jumping into the stands. <laughs> that might be. I mean, maybe the screens are new enough that it's good to have the players, you know, have to play with it now it's just you know part of their regular yeah I, I don't think you mess with it i think it's just it, it you know it's going to be the next year sure they're retractable sure you can pull them back but like why like why why mess with something like that just just leave it up and it's not that big of a deal thank you for indulging my my tangents any other tangents we need to to run out before we uh, close the segment no, i think that's it for me all right then i think that we uh we play the music we come back and we talk about who's been good, who's been bad, and who's been ugly. All right, I'm going to go ahead and get started. As always, the quality of the rants of Scott and I has greatly eclipsed those of my own. Um, so my good this week is going to go to Jose Iglesias. Look, on one leg, this guy has been just rock solid. Uh, Jose Iglesias has been, you know, too good to take off the field for his own health. Um, for a guy who was kind of underwhelmed with the signing, uh, as somebody, I expected that their glove would be basically the only contribution they made. I've been so impressed with seeing Jose Iglesias' uh, you know, performance at the plate this year, and you know, this week was, was no exception. Jake, uh, you missed the chalk, which was Anthony Santander is easily the Orioles' play of the week, and in my opinion, he's probably AL player of the week, posting four home runs, eight RBIs, a weighted runs created plus of 253. Um, good for an F war this week of 0.6 in just one week. Anthony Santander is perhaps, if you know Fernando Tatis Jr. didn't exist, the best player right now in Major League Baseball. Um, Anthony Santander has blown my mind. And like I said, I continue to look forward to every single at bat he is coming to the plate now. So um, let's keep that up. So he makes you giddy as a British uh, Cub Scout? Absolutely. No question about it. Okay. My bad this week is going to go to, I don't know, depth or or maybe prioritization or maybe we call it organizational approach. But here's what I'm getting at. My bad this week is the fact that we had to talk about Tom Eshelman, right? Nice guy. Not not an entertaining picture to, to watch. I'm I'm frustrated that you know, as we talk about the fact that our starting pitching has been underwhelming, we're not seeing pieces that I'm more curious about, right? Why have we waited so long to see Keegan Aiken? Why are you keeping the gates of Bowie locked up? If you're going to give me something useless, don't make it Tom Eshelman. Give me something more, well, more fun to watch. So, again, sure, lots of 
okay to good reasons for it, but it's not as fun, and therefore it gets my bad this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, people have been kind of locked up, and you know, even this matter with Keegan Aiken coming in and you know pitching for for one game and three innings pitched, mm-hmm. it was kind of like a giant tease, in my opinion. And you know, Keegan Aiken gets my bad for this week by kind of coming in with that major league debut and just you know not being very good whatsoever. I mean. Um, I think ultimately I would have loved to see Keegan Aiken come in in a more, um, you know, a start that he could thrive in. Um, I, I feel like, you know, this is probably not the best time to bring him in. And, um, yeah, I, I'm looking, I don't think Keegan Aiken's going to be a big thing, but I do think he can be a solid relief pitcher, um, in, in the Orioles bullpen. And, um, yeah, he just had a bad major league debut, so I hope he can rebound from it. All right, my ugly this week is going to go to Pat Valaika. Pat Valaika this past week had a negative 28 weighted runs created plus. He is in the, uh, we'll call it the Chris Davis territory. And the really disappointing thing about this is that Pat Valaika is, and I want to be somewhat respectful of this, but he's on start, uh, borrowed the stolen time, right, for the amount of playing time that he's going to get for the Baltimore Orioles this year. And he's just not making the most of the opportunity. I don't expect him to go gangbusters, and I don't expect him to be an all-star, but it would be really nice to see Pat Valaika make the most of the at-bats that he's getting. And right now, frankly, he's on track to have himself back in Minneapolis starting up that burger joint uh, from our Orioles fan fiction. So my ugly this week goes to Pat Valaika. Yeah, my ugly is going to actually be one of uh, individuals we talked about last week who we were really high on, um, and we had talked about whether it was small sample size or not. And it, it's Miguel Castro, who you know came in for two games um, this past week, pitched for an inning and two thirds, um, but was pretty disastrous. Now, that being said, um, you know he's got some really weird peripherals this week. You know, twenty one point six Ks per nine, zero walks. But, you know, ultimately the home run ball came up. He left a lot of balls kind of floating, didn't have great command um, at times. Um, And when he didn't have great command, also he didn't have great movement. So there were a lot of negatives from the Miguel Castro experience um, this past week. Everything that Miguel Castro had done right to this point in terms of getting ground balls um, and having really precise command and good movement um, disappeared this week. I'm hoping that, you know, this is not a Jekyll and Hyde um, but you know, based off of what we've seen from Miguel Castro's career, I think it's going to be what it is. Um, so Miguel Castro gets my ugly for the week. I'm a little concerned. Okay. Last last week we said nice things about Miguel Castro. This week he's your ugly. Which means we that- just spent an entire segment talking about how much fun it was to watch the Baltimore Orioles and how there were a lot of things worth watching. Frankly. That seems irresponsible and dangerous of us. Yeah, it's almost like we may have jinxed, jinxed everything. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Well, we've blown everything else, Scott. We might as well blow the safe. So, of course, we've got to talk about the unwritten rules of baseball and, once again, how they are rearing their ugly heads uh, once again in, the, again in the game. And, Jake, you alluded to it earlier in the show in terms of Buck Walter talking about it um, and mentioning him saying there are certain things that he saw during the games that he didn't particularly like, and he looked down the dugout at folks like Manny Machado or an Adam Jones or a Jonathan Scope, a J.J. Hardy, and see what their reactions were. And again, if the players didn't get up in arms about it, he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and moved on to it. And he emphasized of, this is the player's game. You know, the managers are just here to kind of oversee it, but the players are going to be here to basically respond to it. And again, you know, if we're looking to grow the game and we're looking to engage with the youth um, in in this country, um, we've got to be able to, you know, make baseball fun. We've got to have the ability to kind of, you know, occasionally throw the bat flip, um, you know, pimp out our home runs. I mean, the amount of times that I can think back as a kid, you know, playing little league and hitting a dinger again, I would, you know, what if I hit something good, I would kind of, you know, potentially do something like Ken Griffey Jr. would or something like that. And again, you're looking up to your idols. You're looking up to the players that you try to emulate 
And again, if we're not willing to have fun with baseball and we're going to take offense to stupid things like this, um, baseball is in, in trouble um, and it's going to get in trouble really quickly. So um, I, I guess what I'm saying, Jake, is okay, boomers, um, please take a seat. Yeah, I was going to say, as a as a rapidly aging uh, white dude, I, I think that baseball, you know, falls in line with so many things in our culture where it would probably just be better if old white dudes just shut up. Yep, that seems to be the common theme in this country th- these days. <laughs> and uh, I think that's that's probably a good note to end on. So I will tell you all that that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at Birds of You Baltimore. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. And please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at You can find us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.